I'm honestly, I'm a normal guy who works really hard. I just outwork everybody. I may not be the fastest, the smartest, the strongest guy in the room, but I'll stay late. I'll work weekends. Hard work is not something I'm afraid of. Eric Dorr, account executive at QTS Data Centers, is with us this week. Eric served in the U.S. Marines prior to coming to Memory Blue. He talks with us about his military service, why he encouraged his sister to come work with us, and his cast iron work ethic. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Eric Dorr in the house. What's up? Hey, man. How are you? Good. Corcoran and I are super excited you're here. It's great having you back. Yeah, Thanks man. for coming in. Of course. This Glad is going to be, be fun. This is going to be a lot of fun. It's been a while. Well, it hasn't been that while. I think you bounced in 2010. It was 2010. So yeah. It's been right at the end. So not nearly. It's almost not a, a decade. decade. Almost. A decade in the wild. All right. Well, let's get going. So, Dorr, we've got our listeners People who, who work here now, people who are thinking about coming to work here, people who don't know you. So what we want to do is kind of start off with where you're from, where you, know, where you were raised, where you're from, and we'll kind of go from there. Cool. So tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Yeah. So uh, first of all, thanks for having me, guys. This is fantastic. Always good to be back in the office. This is, <laughs> I love I love the energy here, man. I was walking in. I saw the guys on, you know. LinkedIn, everybody's, you know, hey, there's a lot of collaboration going on. Hey, can you share that document with me? I was like, oh, I love it. And I'm back. Uh, so, yeah. So, thanks for having me in. Um, yeah. So, I grew up in Florida, um, land of the uh, Sunshine State. Space Coast? I was. I was on the Space Coast. Yeah. About halfway down the East Coast, uh, right at the beach. Um, tough, tough living uh, growing up there. Um, but, yeah, no, we, we, we loved it. And, uh after uh, high school, I took off and joined the Marine Corps. So, um, so walk us through that and uh, sure. why you decided to, do, to uh, enlist in the military yeah. and why you decided to choose the Marines. Yeah, good question. So uh, I think all my family looked at me and, and asked the same question when I was doing it. Um, a lot of my friends thought I was nuts. They were like, what, Eric, you don't listen to anybody. How on earth are you going to pull this off? Uh, and I think that's why I did it, honestly. Um a true contrarian. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> not not quite so much. I guess the uh, my my entire family, uh, all the males, all the all the men in my family have have been in the military. Um, interestingly enough, we're sort of like Lieutenant Dan's family, except we all survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, every male in my family, uh, as far back as the Civil War, um, has served not only in the military but in the time of war. So wow. it's, actually, wow. it's actually quite a legacy. Yeah. Um, so, thank you for your service. Well, thank you. I, I'll tell you when I when I enlisted, uh, it's not like some of the young guys, uh, you know, now um, who war was a reality at the moment that they enlisted. Uh, Bill Clinton was president when I was uh, enlisting. There was nothing going on. It was pretty quiet. Um, but obviously, things changed mm-hmm. um, shortly after. Uh, but. So you joined essentially the family business. That's right. Yeah, I do. I do want to disclose a couple of things. So my dad was an infantryman in the army, and Chris's dad was a helicopter pilot in the Marines. Yeah, so Corcoran, and then a lawyer. So in the lawyer in the Marines. So yeah. Corcoran's going to be more biased to the, the Marine Corps. So the people who are listening, I just want everyone to know. Sure, that. no. <laughs> okay, and, and, and but did you? How much did you consider college? Or were you like right away? Because you mentioned with the Central Florida, but did they right away? Were you like, no, Marines right away? Or did you weigh the two at all? And if so, how much? Um, no. Okay. I yeah. did not. Yeah. No, I was all in on the military. military. And okay. your family business, was it always in the Marine Corps or was the military? No, I was the first first Marine. Um, actually, to this day, I'm still the only Marine. Why'd you? What was it about the Marine Corps that... You know, it was a challenge. It really was. Um, You know, I just always, when I thought about the word Marine, I thought like this big, scary, you know, gorilla of a man, right? Mm -hmm. Like, um, and and that wasn't me, but that was kind of how I wanted to perceive myself and what Mm -hmm. I, what I wanted to, you know, kind of turn myself into. Um, So I just kind of dove in and said, 
let's go let's go do this so i you, never even picked up a gun yeah, <laughs> before, no. you know like <laughs> you know agreed. and then and then i and i showed up and it was funny because i got you know i got my asvab scores um and it was like what's really, that just for the listeners yeah so the asvab is a is a is a uh, written exam that you have to take sort of like your uh, high school competency exam, right? Okay. To show that you're not a complete moron, right? So I'm not even sure what the acronym stands for, but essentially it's a, it's a written exam that, uh, that they use to gauge what you're, uh, what you're best at, right? So that they can try to guide you toward what job, you know, is best suited for you in the military, right? What was so, yours? What was yours? Well, interestingly, I, I scored really high, and so they wanted me to be an engineer. Mm-hmm. And I actually did sign up initially to go and be an engineer. Um, and then as I really reflected on kind of why I was doing the whole Marine Corps thing, it wasn't to go get a job, right? Like I could have gone to high school or college and gotten a job. That yeah. wasn't my intention. My intention was to, you know, be an adventure, right? To go do something different than what I had the opportunity to do if I just took a normal route in life. So I went back to the recruiter and I said, I think I want to go infantry. And, and the guy looked at me and he's like, nice. and he's a recruiter and he's looking at me and he's going, no, what do you, no, well, you can't do that. Like I can't find people to do the job that you're qualified to do. I can mm-hmm. find infantrymen all day. And I'm like, well, too bad. That's what I want to do. So, um, so that's what I did. So you graduate, how soon after graduation were you in boot camp? Soon. It was the end of the summer. End so, of the summer? Yeah. So I graduated in May. I was in boot camp by August. Paris Island? Paris Island. Paris Island. So what was what what was that like? Just a rude awakening? You know, honestly, I had a bit of an understanding of what to expect. I really I wasn't it was there was a it was really loud. There was lots of yelling. Um, <laughs> there was lots of yelling, like, <laughs> like unbelievable amounts of yelling. Um <laughs> Yeah, but I, I was fairly um, – I did the, what they call the delayed entry program. So I actually enlisted somewhere in my senior year. Uh, so I signed all the paperwork, um, and I was completely committed at that point. So I was uh, – like I said, it's called the delayed entry mm-hmm. program. So you sign up, and then they wait for you to graduate, and then they set a, a date for you to ship out and go to boot camp. So – um, I had been participating in the delayed injury program. So basically on weekends, I would go and meet up with the other guys uh, and girls that were enlisting. Um, and everybody had different ship dates that they were going to go to boot camp and whatnot. But you kind of got together and you learned some basic Marine Corps knowledge, um, did exercising and, and different kind of routines like that. Um, back to the point that of, of athletics, I was very, very fit at the time. So yeah. That is a lot of the challenge I think that a lot of people go through is is you're you're just constantly moving and constantly being asked to demand a lot of your body um, and also your mind. And as a runner and as a long distance runner, my mind was trained to be able to pursue yeah. or push through, you know, the pain and, and things of that nature. So I was fairly well equipped, honestly. Um, I believe l- it. L- luckily, well, do you sound luckily. you sound really self? We're all joking about how we're not smart, a bunch of dumb sales guys. But you sound pretty self aware for the fact that you opted out of the engineering track and you volunteered for infantry, and you kind of knew what you're getting yourself into. So there are all sorts of types of emotional intelligence and like high and high, high level self awareness. Sounds like you had that kind of early, which is good. Yeah, I mean, if nothing else, I knew what I was and wasn't good at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, mm-hmm. I guess that's you know, there's something to be said for that. Good. Okay, so boot camp was a piece of cake for you. I enjoyed it, to be perfectly honest, and that's not. Hopefully, it doesn't come across too arrogant. I, yeah, I actually ate it up, man. I loved it. That's yeah. that's great. So after boot camp, where, where did where did you go? I went to Camp Lejeune. Okay, and I was assigned. Uh, so I obviously went to my uh, school of infantry. Um, I was a, uh, what they call an assaultman. And just to show my age a little bit more, they've actually completely gotten rid of that, uh, that, that, uh, job in the Marine Corps. Uh, the weapon system that I use has been retired. They don't even use it anymore. It was a, it was an 83 millimeter shoulder fired rocket. So it was pretty epic. 
Uh, Sounds cool um, as hell. Yeah, Shoot it was, rockets. <laughs> oh, it was awesome. It was so awesome. From your shoulder? Oh, dude, it was killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did demolitions. So we did C4, Dynamite, TNT, and just built like the most ludicrous bombs, you know, that, like <laughs> Frankenstein looking bombs and just blew up stuff. It was killer. It was every kid's dream. Oh, it was an absolute blast. I mean, honestly, it couldn't have been, couldn't have worked out any better for me. And then you deployed? Yeah. So, um, my first deployment was in, uh, 2000 again, before, you know, the nine 11, um, disaster, uh, that deployment was, was epic. That was a, what they call a med cruise. So literally I was on a Navy ship where I didn't have a job because as a Marine on a Navy ship, there's no job for you. So I basically slept and worked out in the gym. They don't want you to break anything. Yeah, they don't right. you keep do not the, want us touching anything. Keep right? the leathernecks away from yeah, the equipment, Yeah, keep please. the dummies uh, in their cages. <laughs> right. right, That's pretty much how that went down. Um, but yeah, so um, and then we just we just cruised around the Mediterranean for six months. I mean, it was literally a cruise. Every three or four days, we popped into a new country and uh, ported for maybe three to five, sometimes seven days. Um, and again, with no job, I'd get off the ship, go tour around whatever city I was in and come back at night, sleep and do it all over the, mm-hmm. the next day for See the six world. months. It was fantastic. I went to every country in the Mediterranean. It was it was wonderful. Yeah, but yeah. then the second deployment, not so, not so cute, right? We, we just we cut straight through the Mediterranean and... Um, we actually shipped out on the, I can't remember the exact date. I think it was around the 18th or 19th of September. So September 11th happened. We were already scheduled to deploy back to the Mediterranean again on September 30th. That was our original wow. um, de- deployment date. But then, of course, 9-11 happened. Um, and so they pushed our deployment date up by a, a week or two. And instead of going to the Mediterranean and cruising around there, um, we just cut through the Suez Canal and uh, sat off the coast of um, Pakistan in the North Arabian Sea until we got the call to go in, and then we went into Afghanistan. Wow. And how long were you there? Not long. Um, three months, maybe. Okay. Yeah, from like um, December to February. So so you did, you did how long in the Marines? I served four years. Four years. Wow. And then you transitioned out, right, at some point? That's right. And then how... Um, what did you decide to do after that? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I had in my mind the whole time, you know, a plan, right. I was going to go in the military, going to serve four years. I was going to get out. I was going to go to college. Uh, so I executed on that pretty, um, religiously. Um, I got out in August of 2002 and by January of 2003, I was enrolled in classes and, and, uh, working toward my degree. It's great. Yeah. And then what, what was that like? Because so, I always wonder about that. I mean, you know, people talk about taking their gap year and, and I have mixed feelings about that unless you're doing something worthwhile. I mean, you did something really worthwhile for four years and then you're back, you know, on a, on a campus four years later. Right. And what, kind of, what was your, your perspective and take where you're like, OK, I'm going to treat this like I'm right out of college. And maybe you did. You, you know, I've never really talked about it, but like, no. what, what, what was that like being back 22 yeah, 22. So undergrad? That's right. Yeah, so, um, you know, I had the itch, man. You know, I was watching at the end of my enlistment. I was watching all my friends graduate from college, mm-hmm. right? And so I was starting to feel like I was behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, man, I got to get – I don't have time for messing around or, or you know, uh, I don't know, doing silly college, you know, antics, right? Uh, I, I, I made that my job. Okay. Yeah, I took it very seriously. Um, I was not a good high school student. I was a very good college student. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And why? Why was that? You think? Because you? Because your perspective? Per- you, perspective. Like, hey, it's time to be more serious about yeah academics. Oh, absolutely. The 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 intention uh, was to get a job as quickly as possible and get get up to speed. Um, you know, and and do as best I could to kind of catch up to to my peers. As far as I was looking at the at the uh, you know, the picture of my peer group, yeah. I was behind them, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe other people didn't see it that way, but that's the way I saw it. And so, um, you know, I, I was ready to ramp up and, and get things going as quickly as possible. And then you majored in finance. I did. And what did you do when you were treating like a job? Did you work? Did you just go to school? 
No, I I did work. I had to um, I had to I had to pay the you know the bills and yep. um, yeah the GI bill is, is good. Uh, back then it wasn't quite as good as it is now. It's, they've changed it um, pretty dramatically actually. But um, yeah, so I mean I got my college paid for, for, but in terms of living expenses that was on me, right? So um, you know when you're 22, 23, 24 years old and you're you know going to college, uh, you've been out of your parents' house for four six years now you know, you're, you're an adult and you're living on your own. So, um, you know, uh, the rent man doesn't care if you're going to college, he still wants his rent money. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I, I went and got a job and I waited tables. I worked at a furniture store. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you remember you told me this in interview. Oh uh, yeah. Man. Yeah. What you were doing, you're just making money. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I did door to door sales. Um, I did furniture sales. I did worked in restaurants. Yeah. Whatever it took. Is that when sales started to creep up? Cause you, so Chris and I were both finance majors and neither of us did it when we got out of school. Yeah. What, uh, what'd you major in finance, finance, depending on who you're talking finance. to. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I said finance, but you major in finance and what, uh, when did the sales thing start to kind of pop its head in? Because joining the Marines isn't really sales oriented. Right. But it sounds like maybe you were dabbling in it a little bit when you were going to Central Florida. Sure. Yeah. So uh, sales has always been kind of where I saw myself, honestly. Um, you know, from a, a young age, I was, you know, uh, getting together with my buddy and, you know, doing all whatever we could do to earn money. Right. Really? So, yeah, we were making pies. Okay. What kind of what kind of eleven year old dude with his buddy from the couple of houses down is making pies? We were taking orders and making pies. We go really? to the, yeah, yeah. Did we go to the dollar store and buy a bunch of cheap ingredients and make pies and stuff? Oh yeah, man. Like uh, you know, um, we'd go to Sam's Club and buy big boxes of candy and I'd sell them at school for nice. You know, Really you know, extreme markets. Okay, all right. Yeah, so, yeah. so you were a salesperson early. Yeah, I've had this the, the sales and entrepreneurial bug, you know, uh, from from very early stages. A hustler from the jump. That's right. Yeah, yeah, right. Street smarts. That's right. <laughs> That's right. All right, I get it. So, all right. So you were at Central Florida, major in finance. That's right. And working jobs to make to make ends meet. When did you kind of figure out, or when did you, what did you decide to do after that? This is where it gets kind of a bit hazy. How did you end up with, uh, with us? Were, were we first? Can I tell you? Yeah. It's a little hazy for me as well. Yeah. I, I don't, I, over a decade. Yeah. I think you guys found me on LinkedIn. Okay. And, you know, it's funny. So one of the reasons that you guys probably found me is uh, I played this, I gamed the system a little bit. So I was living in Florida at the time, but I knew so my sister and um, her husband uh, lived up here, and he was wildly successful in tech sales. Mm. Oh yeah! So I saw him work. I remember he was at uh, I think Savas at the time. Then he ended up uh, with New Star. He's at New Star. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Yeah. So um, so I was watching him and 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 my sister, and you know. They were, you know, buying big, beautiful home and, you know, driving nice cars and they had the, the kids and, you know, the, you know, suburban family that I was, you know, that I was in the lifestyle that I was kind of uh, after. Um, and also it fit kind of what I was looking to do anyway. Right. Sales. And mm-hmm. um, and so, you know, you guys probably remember, right, when you start thinking about your career in terms of, OK, I'd like to do sales. And then the next step is what the hell am I going to sell? Right. Like, yep. what do I, what do I know about that? I'm going to, how am I going to, how am I going to execute on this strategy of sales? Right. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to at least have somebody to watch and, and to see, Oh, okay, here's a, here's a niche, here's a market that I can, you know, maybe go capitalize on. So, uh, so what I did uh, in terms of gaming the system, I actually, put my sister's address on my LinkedIn Good profile. Move. Strong yep. move. Yeah. So, so I basically, well, I, I, that's right. I, I basically presented to everybody out there that I was already living in the Northern Virginia area. Um, and that this is where I wanted to work. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I think that's probably where you guys found me, uh, was I think on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So you went through the interview process. Do you remember any of that? Yeah, I do. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was pretty nerve wracking, honestly. Yeah. yeah, it was my first big time career type, you know, uh, interview, and um, and being that I was, you know, I don't remember how old, twenty nine, yeah, ish at the time. Um, 
I knew I had to nail it, right? Like, you know, I don't, if this doesn't work, <laughs> I got to go back to the drawing board. Yeah, I can't, been, I you can't, would have been fine. I, I like to self-apply <laughs> pressure. Yeah. I can't start over at 30. I, I feel like I, I had a plan. So, yeah, so I, I felt uh, a lot of pressure on myself just to make sure that I executed. Um, so, yeah, it was a little nerve-wracking, but. Um, Who's your recruiter? You, was it Tiana or? No, Tiana no. actually was hired after me. She was. Chris oh, wow. Chris reached out to me directly. Chris Corcoran. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Recorded by the man himself. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh. And it's so funny because I actually talked to a lot of uh, uh, the current Memory Blue folks, and they don't have nearly the interaction that I did 10 years ago. No. Um, you know, you guys have just grown so tremendously that you've got, you know, this huge team. Um, that just didn't exist at the time. Yeah, and yeah. It's it's amazing to see where you guys have, have grown this business. I'm yeah. So, so Corkin recruited you. Corkin recruited <laughs> oh, me. Oh wow. So, yeah. So, uh, tell me what you remember about that. So, wait, 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 wait before before we do that. Uh, so we're coming up on 18 years in business, and so Mark and I, whenever we talk about the biggest sales that we've ever made in the 18 years in business, 100 percent of those conversations are about selling people to come work here because that's the most important part. And so I don't get to do it as much as I once did, but that was my favorite part of the business. Yeah. And you were tremendous at it. Uh, I'll be honest. You sold, Go on. A, you, <laughs> <laughs> you sold, you sold a vision, man, you know, and, 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 you know, I was reading, a, I, I do a lot of, I do a lot. Well, I say reading, I was listening to a book. I don't, I don't read as much as I probably should, but I do a lot of audibles. Um, and I do a lot of podcasts. Um, and I was I was listening to something the other day, and uh, it, there's entire books on how to build a vision and then sell that vision. Um, but you were doing that before these books even existed, right? Like you were selling not only here's what we can give you in the here and now, um, but here's what here's where our company is going. Here's what we'd like. Here's the role we'd like you to play in that. And then, oh, by the way, here's where your career can go, you know, after you leave us. And, and you know, the 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 business model just made sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like, come here, get trained, um, get your foot in the door, you know, with, uh, with organizations that maybe never would have given you a look, you know, uh, you know, kind of standing on your own. Um, but, uh, and then additionally, the recruiting and staffing side of the business, right? We'll actually place you with uh, an employer uh, after your time here is done. Right? Or, or we, during it. Right. Or yeah. during it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was here eight months. Eight months. Yeah. And then you were gone. Yeah. So what did you learn from the military? Oh, that's a good question. What did I learn from the military? Um, nothing is easy. Uh, and you're not always going to know uh, the people that you're put in a room with. Uh, and you have to figure out how to work with them. I think that was probably the biggest thing is how to manage a room full of completely different personalities and not kill each other and actually achieve a goal versus, you know, potentially doing some infighting and, and things of that nature. Yeah. I think that was probably one of the biggest takeaways. Sounds like an invaluable experience. It, yeah, it was. I mean, um, you know, my, my kids are getting to the point where they're starting to talk about military service. Taking an individual's raw potential and turning them into a thriving sales professional takes the right training. That's where Memory Blue Academy comes in. Memory Blue Academy teaches participants the fundamentals of sales development and all aspects of a lead generation role, regardless of the level of professional experience or background. The course kicks off with a two-day intensive boot camp session, followed by a six-week ongoing educational program. This is the program every single Memory Blue SDR undergoes at the onset of their tenure. The curriculum covers a wide range of topics, including list building, objection handling, effective sales emails, and more. Participants will be shown how to successfully execute a diverse set of sales activities in a very short time, experiencing tangible and lasting skill growth. To learn more and sign up for a seat in an upcoming session, head to memoryblue.com slash academy. So looking back, uh, what advice would you give yourself the night before you started at Memory Blue? 
Um, oh, good question. Go to bed early. <laughs> <laughs> drink, drink plenty of water. Yeah, drink plenty of water because it's going to be a grind and it requires all your attention, focus, and energy. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably the biggest thing. Um, and and uh, this is a little bit more micro level, but uh, map your route. I don't know if you guys remember. <laughs> I was like 30 minutes late on my first day of work. Um, This guy's supposed to know how to navigate. This is a boot camp. He's in Afghanistan. (laughs) You can't get the door out. Oh, no. Courthouse Road? No, I I didn't know the area well enough. I just moved up here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I got an apartment out in Lansdowne, if anybody knows where that is, out in the, the, uh, the suburbs out by Leesburg. And it's right off of Route 7. So when I leased the apartment, oh, man. the leasing agent goes, where are you working? I go, I'm working in Tyson's Corner. And she says, oh, I was like, yeah, it's like sort of right off, you know, Route 7, Leesburg Pike. She goes, you're on Route 7. I said, sweet. She goes, it's just 17 miles that direction. I go, all right, no problem. So I go, 17 miles. I go, 45 minutes should be plenty of time. No, no, no. This yeah. isn't Florida. No. Yeah. Hour, and a, hour and a half later, I'm calling Marco and I'm going to be late. Dude, sorry. I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> I couldn't get fired on my first day. Right. Yeah. So uh, was being an SDR at Memory Blue harder than you thought it was going to be or easier than you thought it was going to be? I would say it was uh, it, it was tough. It was tough. I'm not going to lie. It was tough. I wouldn't say that it was mes- necessarily harder than I expected it to be. Um, but it was as hard as I expected it to be. Is that a good answer? Yeah, it's great. Know. Yeah. What, what do you remember from the first couple of weeks? For a couple months, if anything, uh, training, getting used to hearing myself and, and doing the uh, the call uh, reviews and and critiques, um, that was that was not something that came supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, hearing yourself talk and and listening and critiquing, uh, and then having other people critique you um, when you're already a little bit self-conscious, right? In the, in the beginning stages, there can be some, some added pressures of, of that. Um, but I, you know, um, I, I remember, you know, spending lots of time doing the critiques and, and also the, um, I can't remember what you guys call it, but when you, your lead write-ups, yeah, uh, spending, write-ups. spending lots of time in the lead write-ups. Yeah. Um, my, my dad is an English teacher and, uh, you know, loves to read and write and, and taught me, you know, those, a lot of those same skills. The problem is I'm not quite as good at being concise. So when I did those lead write-ups, I would have like pages and pages <laughs> of like spending hours on these silly lead write-ups. And I'm like, well, not silly, but you know, uh, I'm, they, I made them silly. I made them much bigger than they needed to be. And, but, uh, so I remember spending lots of time <laughs> on those. What um who who were you with? Do you remember any of the SDRs you worked with, or we we, we called you AEs back then? Yeah, so um, you know people like Diversa, Mike, Mike Diversa, Diversa, um, John Parrot, John oh, Parrot, wow, uh, Ryan Battle, oh Brian Battle, Battle. wow, uh, Stuart Dyer, oh Stu, oh <laughs> I got a good memory, Stu. Yeah. um. There was a ton, man. I, um, Go ahead, sorry. Matt Hur. Matt Hur. He's still in the game. He's yeah. killing it. Uh, oh, you know who I see a lot now? Troyani Myers, bro. <laughs> yes, dude. <laughs> dude, so so Troy. So it's crazy. I my son goes to school in Reston. Um, he's friends with a, a kid in his class or whatever, right? So I go to drop him off for a sleepover. So I go to drop him off at his friend's house and it's this quaint little neighborhood in Reston and it's evening. It's like, you know, sundown time and it's a weekend. So everybody, all the neighborhood guys are all out and, you know, kids are all out running around having a good time. I pull up, they're playing cornhole, which I love, right? Like I'm a cornhole dude. Sure. You're from and, the space coast, and yeah. and and Troy is out there playing cornhole with my <laughs> son's friend's dad, and I'm like, "What are you doing here, bro? What's <laughs> going on?" Yeah, so he, uh, yeah, so I, I, I'm, I'm in that neighborhood pretty regularly. I see him. Uh, yeah, that's a that's, good, that's a good crew there. Yeah, because you know, hers managing a team. John and Stu are doing their thing. Battle's quite successful in his line of work. 
Uh, Troy's doing phenomenal. So you, you were with a, a group of people who who excelled. Did you learn? Was it? Did you learn? I mean, I don't want to compare it to Brain Brains at all, but like this, you're kind of there going through some of the same stuff. Yeah. Like, did you learn anything being together with a group of people? Would you kind of learn more on your own or? No, I mean, uh, the environment is very collaborative just mm-hmm. in general or, you know, like, um, just by nature. Um, so yeah, I mean, I learned a lot from, from a lot of those guys, um, you know, working together, critiquing, sharing. Like I said, when I walked in here that you guys are still doing it, right? You guys yeah. create a very collaborative, uh, work environment and, uh, there's a lot of value in that, man. And I, I, I saw that value and I tried to capitalize on it for sure. Um, so yeah, I, I learned a lot. I mean, in terms of pinpointing something specific, I don't know if I could necessarily do that, but yeah. I, I could say that um, you know, just in general, just working hard and yeah. pushing each other. Yeah. I think that was something that that you know um, we had some really good camaraderie in the office. Yeah, that's important when you're when you're new and you're making cold calls for a living. Uh, it's it's helps when you got people who can kind of help you along. Yeah, or people yeah. Going, no, I mean, if you're going to draw parallels you know you're right it's, it's sort of like you know being in the trenches right mm-hmm. um it, when you're when you're going through something that's tough it's nice to have other people that are there going through something similar that are sharing a similar experience um and also you know that you're all working towards something greater and you need somebody to remind you of that sometimes yeah because it, it does get tough um there's a lot of work there's a lot of pressure um, and it's, and it's a, it's a different type of pressure than maybe most people coming into it are accustomed to. Right. So, so let's talk about this for a second. So your sister works here. My sister does work you here. You work here. Yeah. So you were crazy enough to re- recommend her to come work here. I, I, yeah, I was. Yeah. But she's on her, uh, memory of the 3k holiday trip right now with your wife. Indeed. Yeah. And, yeah and, I talked to him this morning. You're a good husband and a great brother. Send your wife to Jamaica and you're running the four kids. Yeah, well, that's uh, yeah, that comes with the territory. It does. It does. Why? So, so why did you recommend your sister to come here? And this sounds like a little, you know, I'm not looking for a self-promotion or anything. But sure. you, you did recommend her to come work here, obviously. And yeah, I did. She's doing well. She went on the last uh, President's Club trip. Yeah, she did. I, I walked by her desk on the way here. The belt is uh Firmly around right. her chair, she is. Um, she's doing well right now, yeah, man. for yeah, sure. She's crushing it. So, um, you know, I knew she had the uh, capability to do that. She had the skill set. She had the drive. She had the work ethic. Um, she was living out in Denver, and uh, the whole family was kind of encouraging her to come back to the East Coast. Um, her hang up was, "I've got a good job out here, and what am I going to do?" back there and I said like I know exactly what you're going to do you're going to follow my footsteps and you're going to do it uh in in a in a way that you know you're going to you know forge your own path um but I've got a great launch pad for for that career that that we know you want and you know you want um so yeah I mean it was it was it was a no-brainer honestly good when you were well I'm glad she works here too she's doing phenomenal she's a great person to have in the office culturally too um Tell us, talk to us about being on the phones. So we're going to keep following your career because you've done some great things, especially when you, you know, now and, and before. But what do you remember or not even remember? What, what's kind of your philosophy on we make a lot of phone calls here. We send a lot of emails, we do a lot of research. But Chris and I truly believe that to become a good salesperson, you've got to learn how to talk to people and qualify people on the phone. And you can take those skills and develop them. But did you this is really your first job being on the phone, right? Right. What what would you learn from that? What muscle did you think you developed develop there, and maybe how does that muscle impact you now? Yeah, so you know, um, being on the phone is something that any salesperson in any field is going to have to do. It's it's an absolute requirement of of success. There's just no other way around it unless you're literally going to pound the streets and drive from business to business. Um, and even then, you're likely still spending a lot of time on the phone, right? Um, so it, it is a uh, it is something that is necessary, uh, and I recognize that. And so, if I'm going to spend a lot of time on the phone, I may as well figure out how to be comfortable. Um, and and that's really just done through repetition. I mean, honestly, uh, and, and not just straight rote repetition, but repetition with iterations. 
Um, and that's what goes back to, to what we talked about earlier with the fact that we, you know, you guys implement a really strong training program and, and, um, doing the call analysis and assessments, uh, of, of, you know, the techniques and things that you're, uh, exhibiting and you're trying to put into practice. Um, and then honing those and refining them and constantly, um, you know, making, like I said, making iterations to, to, you know, find, uh, different ways. And then, and then again, once you find a couple of things that work, just hammer it, man, you know, just lock in on those things and, and, um, you know, and, and, and make that your shtick, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, as natural as possible, make that your thing. And that's pretty much what I did and what I still do to this day. Um, there are some things that, you know, I still do to this day that I learned, uh, at memory blue and I've been doing them that same exact way for, you know, 10 plus years. Excellent. What would be one, one of those things? Um, very simply, uh, and I do this and I think I, we talked about this when I was working here and, and I think Chris, you may have, have said to me, you know, you're going to do this in all aspects of your life. Um, but every single time I get on the phone with somebody, I, I, I make sure that I always ask them, you know, uh, you know, this is a bad time, right? Did well, I catch you at a bad time? Yeah. Yeah. Classic. Yeah. yeah. And, and, it, and it's, it's so simple and it seems so kind of, um, I don't know, something that, that insignificant, but it's not, it, it's, it gets people to want to say, no, it's not a bad time. <laughs> and it opens it. the door to a conversation. I do it to my mom. <laughs> you know, I do it to my friends and family. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think people appreciate it and they, uh, and they're far less inclined, um, to push you off the phone when you, you know, ask for that, that time. Do you remember what clients or what technology you called on at memory blue? Yeah, I do. Um, so I worked on two accounts. Um, one of them was the company that I actually went and worked for after, um, after leaving here. So I was hired out by that client that was Accelera solutions. Um, I spent almost five years there after yep. I left here. So, wow. um, it was, that's a good run. That's a was. great run. It was, it was a really great run. Interestingly, I met my wife there. Um, even better run. I, yeah, <laughs> Epic. My, my brother worked there. That's what I remember. My brother was yeah. the lead solution architect. This is, a, that's not why you got the job though. You got the job because you crushed, crushed it when you worked it for us. It was so funny because, uh, I, my, my brother is older than me by almost 10 years. And, um, He's a smart guy, computer guy, right? He's a solution architect. I'm just a dumb sales guy. Mm -hmm. I walked in and he's like, what the hell are you doing here? Like, what what value could you possibly add to this company, Eric? <laughs> I was like, are you big brother to little brother? Like, are you that tech guy to sales guy. Yeah. Does it matter if it's yeah. your brothers or not? Uh, yeah. I, I was like, well, I, I'm kind of like your pimp. <laughs> I, I, I sell you to the clients. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure he'd love that. <laughs> what did he say? He, he did not. He, laugh. Could, <laughs> he did not. No. So, uh, one of your clients hired you. Do you remember what other technologies or clients you worked with? Yeah, we did a we did a um, we did a Juniper okay campaign. Oh, the federal campaign. Yeah, Juniper That's campaign right. for Merlin International. That's right. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, when I was at Acceler, I worked with Merlin pretty extensively. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Partnered with them on a lot of things. Yeah. You know, that's a, I mean, yeah, that was an interesting, um, we got some really interesting conversations there. It, it, it's very, it, it felt very niche, at least maybe for me in, in the moment. Um, so, um, didn't have as many conversations maybe, but the conversations when you got, when you, when you got somebody on the hook, uh, with, with the, with the pitch, uh, they were very interested, which was, you know, which is always nice. So you end up going in to Accelera in, in were you an SDR there or help us understand what you were doing for Accelera? Sure. Yeah. So I, I, I was, I was a, well, I was an inside sales rep. Um, their approach to inside sales was, um, I mean, I, I did everything that the outside rep didn't want to do, essentially. So all of the administrative tasks, all of the, um, you know, building quotes, closing out orders, um, you know, all of that processing type of stuff. 
in addition to obviously prospecting and setting up meetings and, and, and all of that type of stuff. So yeah, I was very involved and that was, that was an eye opener. I'll tell you, you know, leaving here and, and all you do is, you know, for the most part, you're just crushing phones all day. Right. So when I went there, that's what I wanted to do. Cause mm-hmm. I was having fun. I was mm-hmm. loving it. I, I enjoyed being on the phone and setting up meetings and all that. And then they started throwing all these other, you know, administrative tasks at me. And I was like, well, oh, this is just bogging me down, man. Put me back on the phones. But, um, but that's, you know, that's, that is part of the business. Right. And sure. So, um, so I did that. And then after, I don't know, less than a year, maybe around a year, uh, I was promoted and, and took on, um, an outside role where I owned, um, a set federal civilian accounts and, um, yeah, the rest is history. When you were with us, did you, uh, two questions. Well, one is you may not have, do you have a good best memory from memory blue? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, I think the best memory for me was, so I used to, I don't know if you guys remember, I used to come in early and I would leave super late. Um, so I would come in, I came in, I started coming in early because of the traffic. Right? Yeah. Because I, yeah, I, I didn't want to be late, right? So I'd come in early to beat the traffic and I'd get in. But I would I would also leave late. One of the reasons was um, I wanted to spend as much time, you know, putting in calls and, and, and make sure that I was getting to my numbers. Um, and so what I would do is I would basically just work with the the time zones, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, by, by 7, 8 o'clock, I'm calling California and I'm, and I'm just, you know, following the sun you mean you um, can do that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i hear that every now and then yeah so yeah so i would you know so uh going back to you know one of the best memories i was in the office late one night completely by myself but i made quota that night <laughs> and i booked the meeting that i needed to and i was there like and i was just celebrating by myself in the office <laughs> and you know i think why i like that moment was because it showed me that that the reason I was staying there was was there was it was intentional there was a reason I wasn't just doing it just to put in more dials I was doing it to achieve a goal and when I achieved that goal by putting in the hard work um it was just it was a very impactful moment and and a great memory that's great validation yeah it really was you know I mean like you know, because because a lot of times you stay there till seven, eight o'clock at night, and, and you still don't get anybody on the phone, or you still don't get that meeting that you that you're that you're looking to get. Um, but when you do, and it actually you know puts you at, at quota, um, that that felt really good. And, and so when you went to I don't when you went to Accelera, was was there any time when you were did you I don't think I don't know what the I think the answer is no, but did you doubt the the sales path for you for the profession? No, no, yeah, you kind of no. knew. No, right? no, this I was pretty dedicated. I was pretty committed to it from from the day one. Yeah, when you worked your way up the food chain at Acceler, what, so you were selling federal civilian. That's right. What type of stuff were you selling? Um, yeah, so I was selling software, and hardware, and and the services to put it all together. So it was a pretty standard VAR role. Uh, we were focused on virtualization. So Citrix and VMware were our two top. Um, software partners and then everything else was ancillary products to support that solution and then of course like i said the consulting services uh like my brother to design the solutions and then also go and actually go on site and build out the environment um so that was the that was the that was the uh total solution was really based around virtualization virtual desktops virtual servers what did you have to learn to do in that job that you did it were doing in the two, two previous jobs, the job with us in the kind of first year doing sure. the, the, the stuff for the reps. Mm, so, so, so what did I, as an outside rep? Yeah. yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Managing, managing your calendar was, um, was tough. Um, with, you know, being able to you know, be on the road and, um, going out and meeting clients, um, making sure that I was still able to get all of the other tasks in. Um, yeah. So managing my calendar and, and, and working anywhere. Um, right. Because, you know, when you're out on the road or you're traveling or whatever, um, work still has to get done. You can't just like, you know, sit back and say, I'm traveling today. Um, you know, you got to find a way to get all that work in. So, you know, uh, being the good manager of my own time, 
was probably my biggest uh, challenge and, the, and the, the biggest kind of new uh, task that I had to take on. And what, um, what, what, tell us if you remember like your first real deal, what you consider your first deal. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, this one, the, the, I am, I was very proud of this deal because I, I closed this before I got promoted to the outside position. So what happened is I was working, uh, as an inside sales rep, supporting a Navy, uh, rep who was an outside rep. Um, and we had this client very interested and we were going through just, uh, uh, variation after variation of the, of the uh, bill of materials and, and, uh, all of the software and products that were, um, going to be a part of this total solution. So this guy ends up leaving, right? My outside rep leaves. So he quits and we're mid sales cycle. You know, these are long, you know, long sales cycles in the, in the federal government. So we're, you know, maybe six months into the sales cycle and I know there's still months left and I don't have an outside rep. And it took us a few months to, to backfill that. Um, but within that time, before they could backfill that, uh, I was able to get the deal across the table and that was a million dollar uh, total deal. So that was my first million dollar deal was done in the first eight months after leaving here. Uh, wow. Maybe, maybe even less. Yeah. Something, something like that. Yeah. How, how do you I tell this to people? First of all, that's amazing. Did you get paid on it? I did. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It was better. fantastic. Yeah. It Joe Takiria. Really yeah. So my, my boss was a, a guy by the name of Jim Waldron. Oh, Jim. Who, Uncle Jim. He was Uncle Jim. Yeah. He was, he was such a father figure. Um, he was just a great guy. Uh, so when, when that rep left, he kind of stepped in and played the role of, of outside rep, but because he's managing an entire team, uh, he pretty much, you know, watched and, and kept an eye on me to make sure that, you know, if I had questions, he would answer and things like that, things of that nature. But, um, yeah, he made sure I was taken care of on that for sure. Um, it was, you know. And then shortly after that, he, he promoted me to, he's the one who actually promoted me. So, so then you were doing what for the next couple of years? Yeah. Same, same job, uh, outside sales rep okay. at, uh, at Accelera. And, um, uh, you know, basically at that point, my focus was then, so I had, you know, we had a fairly small team. Uh, so I had a big territory of, mm-hmm. uh, of assigned accounts. Um, but when you're, you know, I mean, one agency could have three reps, some maybe more. Um, so when you've got multiple large agencies, uh, I had to, my focus was I need to whittle this down to a core group of, of, of agencies that I'm really going to dig in and get deep and, um, and make sure that my relationships are really strong and that my presence is well known in these agencies. And you can't do that when you've got too big of a territory. So really those next few years was really just spent whittling it down. Um, and I, and I did that. And then I kind of carved out a niche for myself as like the healthcare and scientifics rep. Um, I felt like they all had a a lot of those agencies had similar issues. Um, and so I basically just kind of branded myself as that healthcare and scientifics federal civilian rep. So think back of all the deals that you've closed. Mm-hmm. Which one has been your favorite? Um, yeah, I would say that first one. That first one that 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 I that I did uh, as an inside rep. I mean, uh, I was I was you know us through the you know through the roof on that. I was so excited, uh, and the fact just that million dollar number for whatever reason just really stood out to me, and I was like, holy crap! I actually a million dollars. I booked a million dollar deal yeah. for a company that only makes 40 million a year. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. what? Yeah. That was incredible. Yeah. I was yeah. so stoked. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, the impact you can have. That's amazing. So professional. Yeah. What about the most hurtful loss? The one that got away. Oh. A- a- any, any, any that oh, haunt, don't do it that haunt you? <laughs> don't do it to me. Oh man. Yeah. There, I mean, there's don't do it to uh, me. Which one hurts the most? Tell oh. us. Tell us. Um, yeah, so I had, I had a, uh, I had a deal that literally was going to pay me three X what I was making at the time. Oh, One single deal. Um, 
and and a big not, daddy. Not only not only was it the dollar amount that hurt when 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 it, we lost it. <laughs> he says it like oh, it hurt, like he like pain, <laughs> pain was inflicted. Yeah, uh, it hurt, man. But you know, I think what made it really painful was the fact that it was ours to lose. I don't know. So uh, in the government world, um, government agencies can um, they have to put things out to bid, they call it, right? So they, they put an RFP or a request for a proposal or a request for a quote out, and then everybody kind of competes on it. Well, they can also do different things. So if, if the government says, you know what, this software is the only software that really fully meets our needs, they can do a, either a sole source or they can do what they call a brand name justified, which means this software, this solution, whatever, this, this is the only thing that we're even going to accept offers on. So we have to put it out to bid, but you can't bid anything other than this software. Well, I had that software locked up on registration. We had done a, a good job partnering with another company and sold the, the customer on the value of this solution so much so that they brand name justified it. And they said, this is the software we're going to buy. I had registration on it, which means I had the um, the discounts associated with being the first to the table with that manufacturer. And I had ridiculously low pricing, far below what anybody else was going to be able to have. Well, there was a lot of other components to this solution. And we had registration on pretty much everything, which is why the margins were so high, which is why my commission was going to be so high. Well, I wasn't the one... Uh, priming that deal. So, in, in, again, in the government world, when you do contracting, there's a prime contractor, the person, the company mm-hmm. who actually takes down yep. the contract. And then they will a lot of times have subcontractors where they say, well, you do this part because you're really good at this. And, blah, blah, and then they'll kind of break it up. Well, I was one of the subs on that um, because even though the main component of it, you know, was something that we were handling. Um, there was a lot of other components to it. Long story short, I think some people got greedy and tried to put too much margin on it. And um, so when they sent the price into the customer and the proposal in, uh, the customer like literally canceled the entire RFP. They said, we're not doing this. You guys are trying to, you're trying to take us for a ride here. And they canceled the entire thing. And the real kicker, like three weeks later, they put it back out, brand name justified for a different software. <laughs> oh man, oh, dude! Yeah, oh, it was brutal. It was, it was, it was a kick in the teeth. Man, you're looking at me. Yeah, it's terrible, man. I love how, how like the story about the one that got away. He's always the other story was good. Don't oh, get me yeah, wrong. But it's always more. But, detailed but it's than always it. more detailed. Oh, spoke through so much passion, like oh, everything, everything in life, like hurt. that is. So, so thanks for sharing that. But yeah. I know it was painful. Oh uh, yeah. So as you've been um, working, what's something that you think you do that you think you're world-class at as a sales professional? Um, what's your superpower? Oh, gosh. I don't, I don't know that I have a superpower. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm a normal guy who works really hard. So I would say if I had to say anything, it's, it's just the fact that I, I just outwork everybody. I may not be the fastest, the smartest, the strongest guy in the room, but, um, you know, I'll stay late. I'll work weekends. I'll, you know, I will put the work in. That is uh, hard work is not something I'm afraid of. That's something that I'm, um, I would say it's probably my strongest point. I don't know if that's good or bad, right? Because, uh, if I was smarter, maybe I could do it in less time. But, um, at the end of the day, I get the job done and, and, I, and it's, and it's typically done just sheer hard work. So let's just counterbalance that. So, you know, you're a father, you're married. Yeah. You got four kids. Yeah. Like how do you balance the, that and I believe you that work drive that work ethic with like balancing mm. the hearts and minds of running a yeah. four, co-running yeah a, a four you know a six person household yeah so it's it's one hundred percent co-running um, because without my wife there's absolutely no way I can get it done right like uh, she's she's a hard worker too and I think that helps in her recognizing that. You know what? Eric's going to work hard and I'm okay with that because I work hard too. Um, But she's interesting because she actually will work hard and then allow me to keep working hard and she can take over a lot of the household stuff. So she does a really good job of 
being, uh, I don't even know, easygoing with me in terms of not, not pushing me to, to, uh, to do something that is maybe unnatural for me. Right. Which is essentially slow down. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> right? That's yeah. great, man. So you're telling me what I'm hearing. So you got to have a good partner. 100%. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Man. That's, that's the key to everything is, is and, 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 you know, I think that happens in all aspects of life, right? Like, uh, if you try to be the solo guy, I, I've seen so many salespeople uh, taking it back there, right? I, I've seen so many sales guys who are really good, uh, but they just don't work well as a team and it's just not sustainable. I mean, you can do it for a while, uh, but either you're going to piss everybody off and nobody's going to like you. And, and then, you know, I, I talked to my CRO the other day. He was telling me about a, a guy that he fired. It was the number one sales guy on the team, but he fired because he was just he just couldn't work well with others. Um, so you've got to have you got to have partners. You've got to be able to, to work as a team. And um, and I think team team is what wins. Yeah. OK. So you've worked for VARS as well as manufacturers. Yeah, so currently I work for um, a data center company. So in the data center world, we are a manufacturer, mm-hmm. right? Because we do own and operate all of our own data centers. So yeah. So what's the pros and cons of working for a VAR versus working for a, a manufacturer? Yeah, you, you know, um, I've struggled with this, and 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 I think not necessarily identifying what the differences are, but which one is a preference for me. Um, because as a VAR, you look at the, the manufacturers and you go, oh, that's so cool, right? They just have one product set that they have to know, you know, and, and they just have to be really good within their, you know, product portfolio. Um, and, and oh, here on the VAR side, I've got to know Citrix and VMware and this and that and blah, 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 right? And, and, and you feel like you, you've got a lot on your plate. Um, but then you get over to the, the manufacturer side and it's like, well, shit, all I have is this and I have to make this work, Right. Uh, so it's a different, it's a, it's a kind of a different mindset. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that was, that's the biggest thing, right? Like, you know, when I was working for a VAR, um, my, my pitch was, I'm not going to back up my, my truck and, and sell you whatever I have on it. Uh, I'm going to work with you as the, as the customer and we're going to build a solution that's going to fit your needs. Well, now I'm, now I'm the guy backing the truck up and, I, <laughs> and I've got, and I got to tell a different story, right? Um, because, I only have what's on the truck and if it doesn't fit, then it, then it doesn't fit. So I have to, I have to uh, be a little bit more strategic in the way that I approach things um, to make sure that I'm not coming across as the guy backing the truck up. I don't want somebody to think that I'm shoehorning this, right. That I'm making something fit that is unnatural. So that, that's probably the biggest difference in my mind. And have you, have you always only sold to the federal government? I have. What's the pros and cons of doing that, of selling to Uncle Sam? Um, I think the, the pros are the, the deals are bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, there's always going to be money. You just have to find it, right? Um, the cons are the sales cycle are really long. And then uh, I think a lot of times um, I find myself having to coach my customers on how to buy. Um, Interesting. Yeah, because they don't, these, these people, for the most part, I'm, in, I'm interacting with um, IT guys, right? And, and girls. Um, they are not procurement professionals and it requires a professional in the government to be able to get a contract done. And so, you know, you could sell them on the solution all day, but if you can't get the paperwork put together and, and, and it contracted, um, you know, it doesn't do you any good. So that that's that is a challenge in the government space, um, and and also the black hole of RFPs, right? That's sometimes very very challenging. And again, that goes back to coaching your your customer and making sure that they uh, are putting this together in, in a way that um, that it isn't just a black hole. Um, but you know, you run into people. I do at least. I run into people all the time uh, that that are my customers, and they're like. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't, I don't care about that, right? Like, I, I don't deal with that. I, I just put the solution together and I put the package and I submit it and that's it. And it's like, no, 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 Mr. Customer, you know, you have to understand that because I need to understand that. And and so we need to together work on this to make sure if you really want to get this done, we need to, so it takes a lot of coaching, right? Um, and so 
Yeah, I say that's that's that is a challenge for sure. It's just the the this you know the mechanics of getting a deal across the table. How do you keep your skills sharp? Um, you know, um, I, I was talking about this earlier. Um, I but I do. I read a lot of books. I read a lot of books. Um, a lot of sales books. I'm not a fiction guy. I'm a self help and uh, and 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 honing my craft guy. So I read lots of sales books, lots of business books. Um, What's the favorite one? Just one. You got to recommend one. What would it be? Oh, oh gosh. There's one called uh, a guy by the name of Mike Weinberg, and it's called it's called New Sales Simplified. I don't know if you guys have ever read that. Book. No, I really like right that now. book. Yeah, New Sales Simplified by Mike Weinberg. Um, one of the things I really liked about that is he really does a good job, in my mind, of um, of helping you set up your pitch, essentially. It, but but he but he breaks it down into a, a, a really play by play of how to put together a uh, a really solid message that resonates with customers that you can repeat, right? Um, and and uh, so I think that was really good. That's a great book. New Sales Simplified by my Mike Weinberg. I got two more for you, Dor. One is, so um, I remember why we were attracted to you originally, because Chris and I have a high respect for the military, being both military brats. Mm-hmm. And additionally, we value the perspective that you, we thought you brought to the job after being in the Marines for four, four and a half years, however long it was. Mm-hmm. And I always believe that... Um, the folks who come work with us with a little bit of non-traditional background or a work background before your sister included, that work experience is going to help them even more in the next job. Agreed. Right. Cause you got to get your kind of earn your, earn your stripes. Sure. Yeah. And, and working here first to kind of get into the high tech sales game. But knowing you've got that unique perspective impatience is a virtue or patience is a virtue, depending upon how it is. When you're looking to bounce from memory blue, what are some of the, what's the advice you have for the SDRs who are looking to leave, who are all in this big hurry and they're super impatient, but yeah. they want to get in close work now, but they might not be ready. Or right. might, so what advice would you have for them? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And that's absolutely something that I could have done better uh, while I while I really enjoyed Accelera. Um, and I and I again, I, I spent almost I guess, five years or so there. Um I would have probably slowed down and, um, you know, and, and it's funny, Mark, I remember you and I talked about this cause I was, you know, I think we had looked at maybe a couple of manufacturers and mm-hmm. we looked at some VARs and, you know, I was like, Oh, that'd be, you know, the manufacturer seems, you know, super glamorous, right? Like, Oh, I, you know, I've got this great title. I work for Dell or I work for whoever it is. Right. Um, but, uh, but I think you pointed out something that I didn't even really, uh, understand and know at the time, uh, is, VARs pay really well. I mean, a lot of those small companies, they actually pay better than the, the big guys, um, and the big manufacturers. So, you know, uh, heeding that advice and going to Accelerate was really good. But one thing that I didn't know, and, and it's worked out for me because I built a career, but I didn't do a good job of vetting. I was so excited to have the opportunity that I jumped on it. I didn't negotiate comp- you know, uh, compensation. I didn't negotiate to even understand what my role was going to be. I walked in the first day thinking I was going to be, because I didn't do any yeah. stuff here for the most part. I was all, and even, was all at, commercial. even I forgot about that. I yeah. was a commercial guy. Yeah. And I walked in the first day and they're like, you're a Fed rep. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about federal. <laughs> I have no idea. What, what are you talking about? Yeah. So, you know, had I, you know, maybe vetted that out a little bit better, maybe I would have made that same decision. Maybe not, but at least I would have had the information. Um, it definitely caught me off guard when I walked in and they were like, yeah, you're on the federal side. I was like, oh, okay, well, here we go. Let's figure this out. Um, so yeah, I would say slow down. Uh, don't rush it. Don't jump on the first offer that, that, you know, that yeah, comes that's, that's really good. Cause that happens a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been talking to my sister about that a lot too. You know, it's like, you know, cause she's coming up on that time mm-hmm. when she's starting to, you know, to look and you guys are, are going to help her, um, here over the coming months. But, um, you know, I gave her the same advice, slow down, don't jump on it, you know, be patient. Um, the, the careers are going to be there. You keep your head down, you keep grinding. Um, somebody's going to recognize the value and you don't have to, you, you, you are in a position of, of authority that you don't even know you're in 
when you're leaving here um, and you think maybe, I know at least I did, you thought, I thought I, I had to jump on this. What if, what if nobody else offers me a job? What if this is the best I'm going to get and I turn it down and, you know, so um, yeah, have confidence in yourself and, and the position that you put yourself in and, um, and, and, and don't rush. Good advice. Final question. Uh, we asked you this when you interviewed here, you may not remember who, if you could put one person on, on Mount Rushmore, who would that person be? Living dead or alive, past, present, future. Probably my mother. Okay. Yeah. Mom, yes. Yeah. Mom gets some love. Yeah. Yeah, my mom has been an absolute, you know, rock for my family. Um, uh, the women in my family have, have always been the ones, the glue that keeps us all together, keeps all the guys sane. Um, yeah. Yeah. I would say my mom for sure. Dor, you've done a lot of awesome shit in 10 years, man. It's it has been a really good run. It's man. amazing. You were yeah. like kind of a wild bachelor, you know, yeah. making his way, yeah. getting into tech sales yeah. in a good way. I say that in a good way. Remember we played soccer together? That's like, right, man. Like there's a lot. Oh, I've got a scar on my forehead. From, I know. Like one of the first times we played I together, man. Busted my head wide open. I, I know. I was looking at it. Right there. I was like, oh, I feel a little guilty about that. I feel a little guilty about that. Um, but you've done a lot. It's inspiring. Good well, thank work. you. Well, yeah. I appreciate that, man. I, you know. I, um, I don't see it that way, but I tell you, it has been a really good run, um, and I've I've enjoyed every moment of it. And and I'll tell you what, the launch pad that you guys gave me and that you are giving people every day, um, it's it's life changing, man. It's impactful, and, and what you guys are doing is is invaluable. And and um, yeah, keep at it, man. I I appreciate the opportunity. It was glad. It was a lot of fun to be here. Uh, I'll come back anytime. Uh, I do appreciate Very that. good. Thank you. All right. You got it. Thanks, guys. The pain of finding and hiring strong sales professionals is a critical challenge that is widespread and getting worse. The Memory Blue Direct Hire Service specializes in filling sales development roles within the high-tech space. And with a one-year performance guarantee and 0% interest financing, you can feel secure in your selection process when you use Memory Blue Direct Hire. As a company, we hire close to 300 SDRs annually across our five office locations. That's nearly an SDR per day all year long. Finding, hiring, and developing sales talent is the core strength of our business. Now we're letting the public tap into the resources of our world-class talent team, specifically trained to find high potential SDRs in order to close this gap. For more information on this service, check out memoryblue.com slash direct. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beep. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.